begin with a prayer and then I'll get into the message this morning. Our God, our Father, you are uh, more than uh, enough for us, God. We long to be conquerors, to be people who are above uh, sin and above all the challenges in our lives, and yet we face struggle, God. We face hardship, and, and yet in the midst of good stories, we know there is deep conflict. God, some of us right now are facing that right now. We're walking up a hill feeling as if we are isolated and alone. And I pray you would come near and remind us that we're never alone, that you walk with us every step of the way as we look back from the mountaintops and look down in the valleys where we've been. We know you've been present all along. So this morning, God, toward that end, on this way, this journey that we are on as a church, I pray that your presence would be real to us this morning and that our ears would be open to hear what it is you would challenge us to this coming week in relation to Uh, this passage we're going to look at today that you inspired long ago and continue to inspire through your spirit today. I pray this morning you'd pour through me the gift of preaching so that Christ would be formed in us. It's the name of Jesus that we pray. Amen. Well, I tend to write my sermons about 10 days in advance. It helps with a lot of planning that we do worship-wise. I like to be out ahead. There's nothing better than walking away on a Thursday afternoon having two sermons in the queue ahead of time. That tells you something about me. But this was one of those sermons that I had complete, except for a portion of it that I couldn't come up with the right illustration for what I was trying to say at the beginning. I was trying to come up with an illustration about how I, a time, a funny story when I wasn't prepared for something that came up. And there have been a lot of times in our lives we reflected back. I, I got home, I asked Holly, and I said, surely there's a moment in childhood, you know, as our kids were growing up, that I forgot something, and that was funny. And we just couldn't come up with it. But don't worry, God provides. Last Sunday night, I was at a late night movie with a friend, and after that, I, I was heading home. It was almost midnight, and uh, I, I saw that there was a light on on my dashboard uh, that was my gas tank that said it needed to be filled. And I don't know about you, I have my favorite gas station where gas tends to be a little cheaper that I go closer to the house, and so I, I figured I could get there, and I was going northbound on 75. I exited Exchange, and I was trying to go west around that loop. Uh, on exchange, and about halfway up the ramp, I ran out of gas. And my first thought was how frustrating this was. You know, the gas station was probably a quarter mile from there, and I knew I wasn't about to call Holly this late at night to have her bring the kids and wake them up before school the next day. So started walking across the, the bridge over 75, and, and uh, fortunately they had a gas can at the, at, the, at the gas station that was there, and I was able to come back. In fact, I think we have pictures this morning of my journey. There's my car, there's me in my gas tank, that's right over 75, and uh, there's me filling up my gas can. And uh, you know, the good thing about being a preacher, if you can stay under control, is even the worst situations can be useful, right? And this morning, I, I guess that's what I get to share with you, is I was unprepared last Sunday night. My guess is I'm not the only one who's felt like uh, you're in that situation recently. Maybe it's a lack of resources. Maybe it's a, something that you forgot, or maybe it's something you thought you could get through with and you didn't have enough to go through with. Uh, maybe uh, you felt like you could have better prepared, or maybe uh, it's just something that's coming up in your life you just couldn't have accounted for. And you, you realize when the moment comes that you weren't prepared. Maybe it was a, a four-diaper day and you only had two in the bag. 
But whatever it feels like in that lack of preparation, today I want to speak to that. I want to talk about how we feel unprepared and how God equips us, how God supplies us for the moments in our journeys that we may have been better prepared ourselves, those moments that are unexpected that come for all of us. You know, discipleship is what this series is about. It's about the journey that God leads all of us on to become better followers of Jesus. That's what a disciple is. It's someone who is following closely the commands of the rabbi who teaches us the way to life. And so today I want to give my best effort to describe how God equips us, how God has equipped us, and how we partner with him in that process of having all that we need for whatever the journey ahead may look like. The last two weeks we talked about discipleship, about the calling that Jesus has in our lives, that Jesus calls his disciples. Last week we talked about how Jesus teaches his disciples, and we walked through some of the teachings of Jesus. Today it's about equipping. Before I read uh, the passage that I want to read to you, uh, you can open in your Bibles if you'd like to 2 Peter chapter 1 is where I want to spend some time uh, this morning. Before I go there, I want to remind you of the author of 2 Peter. Peter, I want you to know that because as he writes these words, these are words that have been hard won. These are words uh, that have some background and story and life behind them. If you followed the Gospels at all, or maybe you're new to this journey and you don't know as much about Jesus and his disciples. Jesus is one of those 12 that follows with Jesus. In fact, he's really more in the inner circle with, uh, with, with James and John that seem to be there at key moments in Jesus' ministry. At the transfiguration, he was there when, when this light sh- shines down and Jesus is illuminated. He was there in the, all of those moments along the way. He was the one who stepped out of the boat and walked on the water. You remember Peter? He was the one who proclaimed that Jesus was the Messiah, and yet a few verses later, doesn't quite understand what that will one day mean, and Jesus rebukes him. But he was also there later on. Actually, he wasn't there when he needed to be most in Jesus' life. He denied Jesus three times on the night of Jesus' betrayal and the beginnings of, uh, of this process that would lead to his death. But the good news is that's not the end of the story for Peter. And for some of you right now who feel like maybe you're coming to the end of your journey, or maybe you're giving up on God because you think, I've betrayed Jesus, I haven't been who I've desired to be. Uh, Peter is a reminder to us that none of us are without hope. So Jesus finds Peter on a seashore and he reminds him of his love for him. He actually asks him, do you love me, Peter? He asks him three times and, and, and Jesus restores him back to the fellowship. And after that, again, for those of you who may not feel like you might be able to follow Jesus or might be accepted, the reminder is that Peter becomes one of the most important apostles for the early church. He preaches at Pentecost and 3,000 people respond and are baptized that day into Jesus. Uh, There's hope for all of us. No matter where we are on this journey, God can use us, and he used Peter. So these words that I want to read today from 2 Peter chapter 1, I want you to hear these words in light of the background of who Peter is, of the experiences of the failures, of the restoration of that day at Pentecost, all of those things in the background. Uh, 2 Peter uh, 1 verse 3 and following. His divine power has given us everything we need for a godly life through our knowledge of him who has called us by his own glory and goodness. I'm telling you, this chapter is powerful. It's power-packed. We're going to walk kind of verse by verse through this. But I want, I want you to hear what Peter is getting at. He's Jesus, in his divine power, has given you everything you need to live a life of godliness. I hope we'll trust in that word today. Everything that you need, everything you need to be equipped for, for the 
calling that God has placed on your life, to live the godly life that Jesus wants you to give, it's been given to you. It is at your disposal. That was true then, and that's true now. That was true when Peter denied Jesus, and it was true when Peter preached to those people at Pentecost. Thanks to the gift of Jesus, we have everything we need to live a godly life. And this verse ties to what, everything we've been talking about the last couple of weeks that I want to re- remind you of today. His divine power has given us everything we need through our knowledge of him who called us. That's actually the, what the first two works of this series were all about, wasn't it? Jesus has called us, and he's given us knowledge. He's given us teaching. Everything we need has been given to us, and, and, and we're equipped for it. His divine power is there. Jesus has called us. He's taught us. And, and, and what he's saying here is that Jesus has equipped us, has given us what we need. Have you ever been to purchase something, maybe a vehicle, or, or, and, and you go there and the salesperson says, this car comes fully equipped? What does it mean? It means all the bell, bells and whistles are there, right? The, the wheel package is there, Sirius XM for at least a couple of years is going to be put onto this thing. You've got the engine, you've got the horsepower, you've got everything you need is going to be there. And for some of you, it's the sound system that's the main thing, right? But when a, when, a, when a salesperson says something comes fully equipped, what they're saying is this has everything you're going to need. You could possibly need to use this. And Peter is saying the same thing to those of us who are followers of Jesus, that when you were baptized in the Christ, when the Holy Spirit came upon you, you are fully equipped. You come loaded with all of that equipment that you're going to be needed to, to live out the calling that God's given the problem, though, is this. You can be fully equipped, but if you don't know how to work the equipment, it doesn't do you any good, right? Like, you can have that, that cell phone that comes fully equipped with all these features, but if you don't know how to access the features, it doesn't do you any good, right? you got to call your grandson to help you figure it out, right? I mean, our kids almost know the equipment better than a lot of us do, right? It's amazing watching young, young toddlers pick this up. Or you think about your, your satellite system, right? It was coming with DVR and all this. If you don't know how to use all of that equipment, it doesn't do any good to pay for all of that. And the same thing is true in our life as people of God. It does us no good to be fully equipped if we're not able to put those things to use. We're not putting into action the things that God has given to us. Amen? Let's keep reading verse 4. Through these he has given us his very great and precious promises so that Through them, you may participate in the divine nature. Let me read that again. So that you may participate in the divine nature, having escaped the corruption in the world caused by evil desires. Doesn't that sound amazing? You have the ability to participate in the divine nature, not being set aside by these things that come. I want in on that. So how do we do it? Verse 5 tells us, For this very reason, make every effort to add to your faith goodness and to your goodness knowledge. And to knowledge, self-control. And to self-control, perseverance. And to perseverance, godliness. And to godliness, mutual affection. And to mutual affection, love. It's important to see what Paul, Peter is saying here in this passage, right? He's saying you're, you come with everything you need to live a godly life, to participate in the divine nature. But you've got a part to play in this as well. Because you've got to add these things layer upon layer, one at a time, to this gift that God has given you. You see, discipleship is not all dependent on God, and it's not all dependent on you. It's a joint process that God takes us through. 
We have to open ourselves up to that. We have to study and understand what it is. We have to participate in that divine nature to accept the Holy Spirit's gifts in our lives. And God plays a role in that in the gifts that he offers to us, the Holy Spirit's work. But we can also decide not to participate with the Holy Spirit. We can decide not to access the gifts that God has given to us. We can choose to live our own life in our own way. Or we can choose to work in concert with God. We can choose to add godliness and self-control and all the things that Peter mentions here. Our efforts with God's efforts are the things that bring discipleship and transformation in our lives. Last week, we talked about Jesus' teaching in the Sermon on the Mount. And as a church, we believe in teaching people about the Bible. We want our kids to be able to access the Bible, to read it for themselves. That's always been a value in our heritage. But in verses 5 through 7, we realize in in what follows that knowledge is not enough on its own. Listen to verse 8, what we read, what comes next. But for if you possess these qualities in increasing measure, they will keep you from being ineffective and unproductive in your knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. In other words, you can have all the knowledge in the world. We can believe everything there is to believe out there, but you will still be ineffective and unproductive unless you put these things into practice. Knowledge must be put to work, to action. Let's keep reading verses 9 through 11. But whoever does not have them is nearsighted and blind, forgetting that they've been cleansed from their past sins. Therefore, my brothers and sisters, make every effort to confirm your calling and election. For if you do these things, you will never stumble and you will receive a rich welcome into the eternal kingdom of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Isn't that a powerful passage? It's been a while since I've come back to 2 Peter 1, but as I was studying it for this message, I thought there's so much here that has to do with this way that we're called on. We've been given everything we need to live a godly life. Boy, if we would just trust that, that would be amazing. And that's the definition of what it means to equip someone. To give someone everything they need for the task that they're called into. To equip, I wanted to find this way this morning, it's to supply with the necessary items for a particular purpose. And dwell on that for just a moment. To be equipped is to be given supplies to be equipped, to have the equipment that's needed for the task at hand. But that is not enough on its own. It's put to a particular purpose. That got me to thinking about Bible stories and about some of the ones I learned growing up. And I remembered one of them that I thought has to do with this whole idea of the right equipment for the right purpose. The story comes in 1 Samuel chapter 17. It's the story of David and Goliath. Goliath is this monster of a a human being who fights for the Philistines, who are the enemies of the people of God. And and, and he calls out each morning to the people, look, come and send out someone to fight me. And this is a good strategy because if they can just have a one-on-one battle, then all the rest of the soldiers don't have to die and you can take them as your slaves. And that was the deal here, right? Hey, let's just take out one person. Then you guys can be done with our battle and we can move on. We can preserve your lives. You can come to work for us. And so the Philistines win, the Israelites go and become slaves of the Philistines and vice versa. And and so no one on Israel's side was willing to step up and fight this giant of a man. But one morning, a little shepherd boy named David comes bringing supplies to his brothers. He's the youngest of this large family and he goes and he gives these, these supplies to his brothers who are on the front lines and yet none of his brothers are willing to fight this giant. None of the rest of these Israelites are willing to do it. But David steps up and and says, well, I'll fight the giant if no one else will. And everyone's thinking, oh, this isn't going to go well. 
But at least I don't die in this process. So David, they, you remember what they do for David, right? They equip David. They take uh, the king's suit of armor and Saul gives it to David. They, they take a, um, a helmet, a bronze helmet, and they put it on David's head. And David's just, you know, this little kid almost trying to fight this giant with all this armor on. You can imagine, you've seen little kids try to put on equipment like this. And there's no chance he's going to be able to fight this giant without the armor. But at least if we put the armor on, it'll take a little longer for this death to happen, right? Now, the imagination that the people had, I think, about this fight with Goliath is that this is going to be hand-to-hand combat. I mean, that's what he says. I want you to come, come close, bring your guys so that we can fight hand-to-hand. And if you're going to fight hand-to-hand combat, you're going to need protection. You're going to need armor. You're going to need a sword. They equipped him for the kind of fight that they expected would happen. But David knew that he had a different purpose in mind. Remember, equipping is being supplied for a particular purpose. And David knows his armor does no good for the kind of fight he's ready to fight because he's long, for, for a long time protected the sheep with his slingshot with stone. So he takes these five stones and he puts one of them in a sling and he knows this is not going to be hand-to-hand combat. That will never work well for David. And if he doesn't fight hand-to-hand combat and the slingshot works, then he doesn't need any armor because this fight will be over before Goliath knows what hits him. And sure enough, he throws that sling back and slings the stone and takes the giant down. As I think about this idea of equipping, I think about the equipment that people had in mind. And in our lives, sometimes it's the same way. We are prepared for the task that God leads us on, or a career, or a path of our lives, and we equip ourselves for that journey we're going on, not knowing that sometimes God has a different purpose altogether in mind. So many of you right now are you're seeking second degrees, you're seeking second careers because you're finding a new calling in your life. Many of you have equipped yourself for other times in your life and other callings that are there. And you were ready for that season. It was the right equipment for that season. But God's calling you to something new, and that means you're going to have to take on new equipment. It's going to be a different kind of fight than what you had expected. And that's why I love what, what, what Paul writes later on or in, in Scripture. In Ephesians chapter 6, he talks about equipment. He talks about the armor of God. And this armor isn't the same kind of armor that David takes on in the midst of his fight that they're trying to put on to him. But, but listen to the different pieces of the armor. There's the belt of truth. There's the breastplate of righteousness. The shield of faith. Helmet of salvation. The sword of the Spirit. The feet that are fitted with the good news to go. You see, to be equipped is not just to be supplied with equipment. It's to be supplied with the right kind of equipment that we know how to use for the particular purpose that God that's put in front of us. And this armor of God is the kind of armor that we all need as we go into battle, no matter what the evil one may throw at us. To be equipped is to be given supplies for a specific purpose. I, I was doing a study this last week, uh, or last week, I guess, uh, the week before, 10 days out, right? I was doing this study as I was walking through this idea of equipping, and I just looked at the different places in the New Testament where the word equip shows up. It only shows up three times, at least in the NIV translation. This is English concordance work, not so much going back to the Greek. But I found it interesting, those three passages in the NIV that talk about equipping in the New Testament. So I want to turn to these three passages, and what I want to ask the question of is who does the equipping, who or what does the equipping, and what is the equipping for? Okay? And you might find connection with these things as you think about being equipped as well. The first of those comes in the book of Ephesians chapter 4. 
verses 11 through 13. Listen to this again. Listen for that question of who or what does the equipping, and then what is the purpose, or what is it given for? So Christ gave him uh, himself gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the pastors, and teachers to equip his people for works of service so that the body of Christ may be built up until we all reach unity in the faith and in the knowledge of the Son of God and become mature, attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. Now, who or what is the one that does the equipping in this passage? It's God who does the equipping ultimately, but it's through his church leaders. It's through the people around who've been gifted in the church to equip the rest of the saints. And why or what, for what reason are we equipped? Well, it says there, we're equipped to basically become mature in the faith, to reach unity in the faith, to a knowledge of the one who, uh, so that we can become mature, attain to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. I don't know what that looks like, the whole measure of the fullness of Christ, but, but I love that idea. God gifts different people in the church for the sake of equipping his people so that we might become mature and seek unity together. So that's the first of the passages that talks about equipping. The second comes in 2 Timothy chapter 3. Verses 16 and 17. Paul writes to Timothy in that verse, All Scripture is God-breathed and is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness, so that the servant of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. So in this passage, who or what does the equipping? Scripture, right? God is given a scripture to equip us for the purpose of the good works. That's the purpose that God has equipped us for, is the good works God has called us to do. The third of these passages comes in the book of Hebrews. Hebrews chapter 13, verses 20 and 21. Listen to these words. Now may the God of peace, who through the blood of the eternal covenant brought back from the dead our Lord Jesus, that great shepherd of the sheep, equip you with everything good for doing his will. May he work in us what is pleasing to him through Jesus Christ, to whom be glory forever and ever. Amen. In this passage, the who who is doing the equipping is God, who through the blood of Jesus Christ equips us. And what's the purpose of the equipping? It's to do God's will and to bring glory to his name. I think those scriptures are very helpful to us, to help us know what the sources of equipping are, what brings us to that, but also why we're being equipped, the purpose that God has given that for. In those three passages, it's church leaders and and those who have been gifted to go on our behalf and to equip us for the works of service. It's Scripture that equips us to do good works, and it's God Himself who 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 brings uh, equips us to bring Him glory. And so the question is: Are you allowing those sources in your life to be a part of the equipping that God wants to do in your life? Are you allowing the apostles and prophets and evangelists and pastors and teachers, those in this church body, with you to help? nurture your faith and equip you? Are you uh, allowing Scripture? Are you uh, in Scripture on a regular basis so that it can equip you through the Spirit of God for the good works that God wants to do? And then finally, are you allowing God through your relationship with God to, to be a part of that work, to bring Him glory in the end? That's why we're to be equipped. That's who does the equipping or what does the equipping. And I want to challenge all of us to think about how we do that. And, and to do that, I want to actually, uh, I wanted to ask Dave and Jolene Clevenger. In fact, if y'all would come right now, I wanted to ask them and interview them for a moment um, about equipping because uh, Dave has been a, a friend of mine. We get together on a regular basis and I've seen 
Jolyn as well in, in different uh, facets have that opportunity to be a part of the equipping of God. One of the ways this happened in their life recently has been through Rooted that you've heard about. And uh, Dave and Jolyn went through Rooted uh, just recently, and they're actually going to be a facilitator of one of the groups coming up uh, this fall. And I'm grateful for them being willing to, to uh, I guess, just kind of give some feedback to some of these questions. These three uh, passages uh, talk about different parts of what equipping's about. Uh, about different church leaders and about Scripture and about uh, you know how God does this equipping in our lives. So I just wanted to have you all share about those three things and about how that pertains to Rooted as people are looking at next steps. So Dave, I wanted to start with you. What When it comes to uh, the different people that are, were involved in your group, in Rooted Group, from the facilitator to the others that were there that were part of your, that experience, how did you experience equipping through uh, those people that you came across in your Rooted Group? Colin, it's a, it's a powerful time when people who are Christ-centered and Scripture-anchored get together in a safe covenant. And as I flash back through the faces of that group and the experiences that we had, um, it, it occurs to me there were no superheroes in that group other than the superheroes that uh, were from God, that were equipped uh, by Him and um, given gifts to, uh, to discern and to speak and to share um, within the group. Uh, I can think about times where in that group um, we shared in each other's struggles. We spoke joy into each other's celebrations. Uh, we affirmed uh, truths and strengths. Um, you know, I think about the book of Romans and how Paul spends 15 chapters writing and unraveling this great theological home on theology and eschatology and sociology and Christology. But when he gets to the end of the book in chapter 16, he comes to this big list of names. There's Tryphena and there's Tryphosa and there's Rufus and there's Phoebe. There's, there's, there's two dozen names he calls out. And that, that seems so weird to end a book that way until you understand that after all of the theology and Christology and eschatology, what it really comes down to is people. And Paul is sharing the people in his life who did ministry with him and who struggled with him and who uh, affirmed truth and who celebrated joys. Um, and uh, that, that's, that's an extremely powerful thing. I'm glad to hear you had that experience. I, I, I know Scripture is a huge part of Rooted as well, and, and that was one of the passages we talked about was 2 Timothy three sixteen and 17. How did Scripture play a role in the group? And uh, you might say a little bit about that as it pertains to Rooted and your experience with it. You know, that's certainly that, that back to the Bible is a strength of our heritage. Yeah. And Rooted plays very strongly in that space in that it, almost on a daily basis, calls its participants to be in the Word and to reflect in the Word, and to meditate, and to pray, 
and to journal and then to come together as a group and to share and to struggle and to wrestle and, and, and to act. Um, rooted, um, it reminds me of Psalms 1, where at the beginning of the Psalms, the writer says, um, blessed are those who delight in the law of the Lord. They're like trees planted by streams of water. Uh, they produce fruit. Their leaves never, never wither. Uh, whatever they do prospers. So, Jolene, I wanted to ask you about this. Uh, that third piece is God, obviously, at work. And God works through people. God works through Scripture. But specifically in Hebrews, it talks about God. So was there a particular experience or a thought about that that you had from your experience in Rooted that you wanted to share? Absolutely. Um, when you were talking earlier about the analogy of a car being perfectly equipped, it reminded me that my brother-in-law has a Tesla, one of the new fancy, has all the bells and whistles. Um, but unless he has plugged into the power source... It doesn't do any good. And so definitely God is our power source. And I feel that um, there were so many uh, ways through Rooted to connect to God, whether it was through the scripture, whether it was through the others, whether it was through the experiences. Um, there were a lot of opportunities. And I felt more connected to God than I have in a long time. Mm. It's great. You asked about experiences specifically with Rooted. Um, You do go through some very um, purposeful experiences, and one of those was a prayer experience. And um, as several of you have heard, it's a three-hour prayer experience. And you're like, that's just (laughs) crazy. I don't want to do that. Who wants to sit and pray for three hours, right? I sort of had that thought in my head when I first heard about it, but when it was over, we all were like, wait, wait, can we have another hour? Can we have a couple of more hours? Um, Because you just spend that time in in the Word, listening, and being still and being quiet and listening, and it's a great experience. Thanks for sharing that. It was powerful. That was one of the most powerful moments in my uh, group as well. Uh, I know there's people that are probably thinking about what they're going to be committing to this fall. There's different group experiences that they can see today in GroupLink in just a moment, uh, which we encourage you all to go and be a part of in the Fellowship Center. But if they're looking for a next step that has to do with growing closer to, to God, growing closer to other people in the church, why would Rooted be a good place to go for that? Well, it was interesting. We attended a facilitator training recently and uh, for Rooted, and the person that was doing the, the training, he said, you know, Rooted is kind of like, for adults, the high that you get when you go to summer camp, summer Christian camp. And it is. It's a, it's an, it's a spiritual high. And uh, I think we all need that at points in our lives. And so now being a facilitator, it's like I want to go back and be a counselor at the camp. I want to go experience it again. And so I would just encourage everyone to, it requires a lot of commitment for 10 weeks. It's a short period of time, but very much a commitment. 
Um, but I would encourage everyone to try at least once, if not this first go-round of Rooted, to definitely try uh, and make it happen in your life because it is, a, it is such um, an empowering and uh, relational and um, godly uh, tool that we have. Thank you all so much. Appreciate y'all sharing your, your stories and rooted. Uh, as we close today, we just want to remind you of this opportunity on September 9th. Uh, rooted is, uh, there's an information session at 3 p.m. in the Teen Center. And uh, put that on your calendars. Come and be a part of that. That doesn't obligate you to commit and go through the entire uh, process of rooted. What it does is just give you more information, let you know exactly what you're stepping into. But we would love many of you to make that decision uh, coming up in just a, a couple of weeks. I want to close now with a prayer, and then we'll bless us as we leave with a benediction from Hebrews 13. God, we, uh, we just thank you so much for the ways that you are equipping your saints here at Greenville Oaks for the sake of your purpose and calling. You equip us for the sake of being able to give you glory, for the sake of being able to do the good works you've given to us. And you equip us also to make us mature and to unite us as a church body. And you do that through people, and you do that through Scripture, and you do that in, uh, in other ways, God, in our lives, uh, through miraculous opportunities and moments we have of transformation. I pray that would continue to happen in our church body, that we would become uh, a, a church that is set on discipleship and wanting to grow more into the image of your son, Jesus. I thank you for people who've made decisions to uh, follow Jesus for the first time in this series and those that have recommitted themselves. And I pray you continue to walk with them, give them encouragement, and give them everything they need to live a godly life, which is your promise. Uh, We pray all this, God, in the name of Jesus. Amen.